Authenticity is 
value. You could ask the question, and we're going to have a whole section about authenticity, but how do we know whether someone is authentic or not? Well, we don't know, but we, when we know it, we see it. We, when we know it, we believe it, we trust it, and we trust authenticity, but how do you create it, or could it be created, and how do you know whether it's true is yet another question. But at the end of the session, we're going to actually talk about that and, and um, see what we can say about it. Power is suspect. We talked about that this morning, but power session, a session about power, but power is highly suspect, especially by younger people. If you were perceived to be particularly powerful and you use power in, in certain ways, younger people will, for the most part, write you off and will doubt you and not believe what you're, what you're saying. So to come across as too know-it-all-ish is uh, problematic, particularly with young Advertising and politics are examples of different ways in which communication has shifted. How often these days do you hear a politician really make a statement that has uh, what some of the five generation might say would be a worthwhile argument about anything? For the most part, it's sound bites, it's impressions, it's perceptions, it's a feel, a feel of whether something is true. It's a, a sense that we're leaning toward this way of thinking, or we're avoiding these other ways, and on and on the list goes. But we don't really make verbal arguments very much. I mentioned yesterday in a session that our 15-year-old son and I watched a television commercial uh, early yesterday morning, and he said, that's a great commercial, but as typically commercials are these days, you don't know what the commercial is about until you get to the end, because there's a lot of images, and there's a lot of perceived things, and then at the end, it could have been about cereal or about um, car, buying a car. You know, it just depends on what the pictures were, but sometimes even the pictures don't give you much of the end. They simply make you help you to feel peaceful, to feel powerful, to feel whatever it is. If it's a car, it may make you feel like powerful, make you feel rugged, or you know, or whatever, depending on what kind of vehicle they're going to say, whether it's a Texas truck or whatever it is. But something that makes you feel a certain way, and then you get the, the idea at the end, well, if I owned this, then I would become like that. And it would change who I am. So there's all this perception. And that happens a lot within politics, and those are places I study the church a lot, is by watching how politicians communicate and by how advertisers communicate. And then, so what does that say about the church, and how does it say about what we're doing? I also mentioned yesterday, and not, we have different groups here along the way, but I also mentioned about how there's supposed to, there's a story woven through many of the photos and images and the sort of narratives that you see in advertising these days and that you see in most many secular experiences. There's some kind of story woven in there and there's something about the church that I think we need to recognize. Nonverbal communication involves all the way that we all the ways in which we communicate above and beyond words. Uh, 65 to 85 percent of all communication is nonverbal. And now we depend on whose books you read and, and whose um, Articles you read is to determine how much communication is actually nonverbal. And sometimes there's double messages being sent, sometimes congruent messages that support each other, and sometimes our nonverbal communication flies in the face of what we're saying, and then the trust level really does shift at that point. And we'll talk about some of those. So consider the following. Most messages that messages that we send and receive are nonverbal. Um, and some of those messages are um, contextual. Most of them are contextual, meaning they are understood within the location in which they are offered or within the context. We understand them because of the way they are presented in a certain space or a certain time. They may not communicate in a different context. Not all information is communication. 
messages must be received and understood to be communication. And I think we all know that to be true, that we give information, but it may not mean that that information actually is received or understood. I don't know about your family, but our family spends a lot of time redoing communication. Or saying it yet again, or sending it again. You know, sometimes even in our house, we have to say it and send an email and send a text and leave a phone message and whatever. And then we still don't all end up in the same place at the same time. And we still say we didn't get the message. So we're so inundated with different kinds of messages somehow. Sometimes we're just completely overloaded, actually. But it doesn't mean just because we send it, it's true. Highly literate, often or often like highly verbalized people, and they're often frustrated by nonverbal communication. I uh, think an academic setting. Um, if you know, if we could argue for a whole meeting about uh, catalog description. You know, and the truth is, nobody who reads catalog descriptions anyway. I mean, the reality is, it makes no, it doesn't change the world or anybody else. But you can spend so much time. In highly uh, literate people are especially concerned for words. So the more educated your congregation is, the more they're going to be dissecting verbal communication versus other forms of communication. You would find that to be true, I think, in, in, if you've been in different churches and different kinds of congregations. The Bible is full of nonverbal communication. What might be some examples of nonverbal communication that you would find in the Bible? Something I actually never thought about much until I started doing a little bit of research and some reading in this area. Thank you. 
much nonverbal communication is subconsciously connected to speech. And I would say that most of the nonverbal communication that we have is instinctive. We do it instinctively and we don't really imagine ourselves doing it. For instance, I am not saying hand rise from the side and open palm and hold here. I have not thought of that. And I haven't consciously thought, let me
you never, ever check out. Okay. When do you think you might check out? Okay. When you're in your car, maybe? Okay. But we think we check out during prayer, so we know. Somebody's always watching. Yeah, I was on a church that was on television one time. And you couldn't even scrape your tie or fix anything. Up your fidgety during the prayer, you know, this is really telling. I know having 
any studies to prove that, but that's something I've been studying uh, about others to say, you know, we got to step this up. You know, we got to. We're not talking about helping leaders to be more effective leaders. Okay, just stuff to think about. Maybe that's kind of that's true or not, but it's something to think about. Um, people really do want to participate, and nonverbal communication is a primary way in which we encourage participation. Eye contact, self-assurance, trust, and secure gesture encourages. And I believe that our role, the way we role model, or the role model which we become, has more to do with participation than any number of words we can ever speak. Oftentimes when we speak and, and encourage people to sing and maybe guilt them or cajole them or something like that, that will work in completely the opposite. For instance, the more insecure a person is, the more, if you become more extroverted, you will drive them toward greater levels of uh, introversion. Okay? So if we are a very introverted congregation, and I think some congregations are inherently introverted, and some are more extroverted in their general makeup. And I learned that from a church I served and another church I served. And my thought about this second church was that these people are just not very spiritual because they just they don't they don't seem to care at all. Well, they were thoughtful and they were you know very cerebral and they were thinking and, and they would come up and say, "Oh my goodness, wow, worship was I was just so engaged and I was like, I couldn't see that. Wow." And I learned a lot. Kyle knows what I'm talking about. This church that we worked in once, he knows what I said, but. That I uh, learned that about people that you can't just judge what you're seeing. You can't just judge that, that thing. But if for some of us, if you come across so extroverted to me, and I'm a pretty strong extrovert, then I will just start to shrink back and say, you know, kind of start to curl up a little bit. And the more introverted the person is, if you keep on telling, dude, come on, come on, come on, come on, if you just keep on, they'll just keep shrinking back. And they'll go the opposite of the way what you're trying to say to them. But if you honestly show your own sense of engagement, then that frees them to step up. Thank you. 
sometimes you sometimes you catch people saying that they don't want to do it. And then you can, if you don't draw attention to it, you might catch them more often if you see they really may change. It's like a kid in your elementary school classroom who, you know, you just kind of catch them doing something good and maybe you stay on the side and they're very gentle. So a kid in our church last week who participated in music camp and he never ever participates. And so uh, over the side I said, Or it 
that's why you need to know music so you can change the music. And you can make it work. And you can be intentional about figuring out what works for a majority of And I'm preaching to the choir. Uh, how can um, how can this performance be evaluated? And I would ask the question, then where are our blind spots, which I think we just pointed out a few What types of nonverbal communication is valued? And where are the limits? And some kinds of nonverbal communication is not so valued in some settings, and it might be even perceived negatively. Uh, for instance, hand raising, lots of avert, you know, way moving and stuff, might be expected in some places, and in some other places it might be perceived as being a, being a part of the group. But for me to stand with my arms crossed in some places would be extremely not engaging. And it would be just as out of place in a different setting.
just didn't catch it somewhere in my life. And they did well. But it just simply reminded me that it was nonverbal communication. And I must, I, I think it was a good thing to do, but it just made me think. You know, it made me think what it's like to be the person who's not in the inside, who's not in the circle, and who felt a little more like, you know, it's kind of, I was sort of looking on, you know, I was the bird flying around that day, rather than, you know, the one he got, you know, right or wrong. Not particularly, it just caused me to think about how other people might feel, and I'm not even very
think of a cross-armed place of worship. Where is that? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, arms extended very much. The more open your body is, the more you're inviting people. The more open your posture is in all those kinds of ways. Uplifted, extended, all of those kinds of things are open and engaging. Facial expressions, particularly the facial expressions when we're not singing or speaking. Because a lot of us have our singing face, and then we have our no face, like our non-engaged face. How well are you listening to people and how you show them your face when somebody else is speaking? People are reading scripture, somebody's sharing something. Um, but somebody else is singing. You know, are you turning toward that person? Are you engaged? Are you thinking deeply about what it is that they're singing or saying? Very important stuff. Gestures. Uh, gestures in worship mostly should be exaggerated from normal communication. Um, and and ge gestures must have a preparation and a follow-through. So if you're going to ask a congregation to stand, for instance, and through your gesture, you wouldn't go like this. If I want you to stand. For a group this size, I need to go. I need to be a full body mode, and I would not need to just go. What's the difference in that and if I go? Okay, so it has a preparation, get ready, stand. Because we never just go. Students, when I'm talking about so go. And we can't stand like that. So. And then, yes, and then if you step forward and ask them to stand, and then you move up with your body, then you're saying we are all moving. You see the difference in that kind of thing. So even so, us, the way you stand in a group, it's a really huge kind of movement that you need to practice. And something you should practice in front of a mirror. So that you can be inviting in this movement. And then you're smiling. See the difference in all of those things. And that's why the difference works. So for instance, but the whole idea of preparation. See, prepare, move. Okay, something like that. And when we, when we ask people to sit, we don't go to sit. Otherwise, we are putting our heads on the people and we're being ugly. So, we always gently ask people to sit. And not just right on top of their heads, but sort of gently. Yeah. Just those kinds of things. Um, range is related to height, size of the group, size of the space. So, if we are in a very small space and I go like this, then it's like, what's up? There's just a few of us in here. And that's really, really strange. On the contrary, if you don't give enough, and if I'm a very large person, I might not be able to bring my arms in such a huge way because I may overwhelm the group. Versus if I'm a very small person, and I may have to exaggerate my movements. Okay? And what you might be able to do would be very different according to your own size and your own self. I've seen very large people overconduct a group, for instance, you know, because their arm span may be, you know, way out here, and so it's very, it's very different even just from a conductor. But the same thing in worship. Um, when other people are speaking or singing, agreements, affirmations, and comments, we mentioned that, but that's really, really important. Microphones. What messages do you send when you hold a microphone? I was in a worship service a couple weeks ago, and the person leading the worship held the microphone the whole time. But why did he need to hold that microphone the whole time? Did, was he the only one singing? I, I don't know. I didn't really think he needed to hold that the whole time. I would have probably rather had a microphone at the podium and another microphone here that I used at some time or something. I used several different spaces. Or maybe I would be on the floor at some time, but not necessarily just have, have a microphone go travel. Because it didn't allow any differences any alternative positions didn't allow any freedom. It also didn't open the hands for any movement or any inviting gestures. Um, so every, all the things we do with microphones send messages. If you use earbuds, what messages are you sending? I am not paying any attention to you. I'm only listening to the band, and we are in our own little tiny world, in our electronic world, and we are separated from the rest of you. And that sounds really harsh. 
smooth those sort of way, some of the more way, you know, countrymen things. And those are pretty good because they're not intrusive. And I've worn them a couple of times. I have to get used to it because I feel like I'm kind of an outer space person. But I, you know, I think I can get used to that okay, because it's, it works. It works. But you want somebody out to be able to control the line so you're not so on if you don't choose to. Proximity to the congregation. Behind the pulpit, with an ensemble, people with other leaders, sitting behind an instrument is a different thing. With Eric Lee from the piano today, that's, he led from some other places too. And the organ was primary. He really showed some very good ways to lead from different places. But it does change, and you just simply need to be aware of the differences and how his, his gestures were very obvious from the piano. And we had a sideline because we needed to be watching him. And we knew where the position of control was shifting through the worship. We knew that and we were aware of it through, through the whole service. That was very good to communicate that. But we need to know all that. Oftentimes, coming down to the floor and leading from the floor can be really good. I almost always leave global songs from the floor. I come down on the floor and I almost always leave round cannons those kind of things, I almost always do them from the floor, because I think those are very intimate kinds of expressions, and they're places where I want people to feel very secure. So I, I just instinctively have done that, but it seems right. It really seems right. And people know when, when Randall comes down from the floor in worship, we're going to do something very interactive and very engaging, and it's usually going to be a cappella. We're going to sing a bunch of parts. We're going to have a good time with this. I think that's what they know. That's what they did. Uh, attire. What do Rose say? Relaxed attire, casual attire, formal attire, business casual. All of those things send a message. And they send nonverbal messages, which, whether you acknowledge them or not, somebody else reads them. They're very serious messages. Did you notice what the people were wearing today? Yeah, kind of normal clothes, which is pretty much where I've come to the worship leadership. Um, sometimes our pastor wears a suit, and occasionally he wears a robe. Um, but we kind of voted him off the robe because we said, you know, it doesn't seem to fit around here very well. Um, but different people, you know, I'm the oldest staff member in our church, you know, which is an interesting place to be. Um, so, you know, they might want to wear suits because they're trying to look more mature, and I'm not really at that stage. <laughs> yeah, I've got a gray hair that means something, so, you know. Anyway, you know, you just, all those things matter. Uh, pace of movement, how to age, what difference does that make? We talked about that in another session. Pace of movement. Now, how do you determine the pace of movement? And for instance, Yesterday when we were doing, oh great God, give us rest, the students that were reading, they, at first they were going, and we were talking about rest. And I said, no, gosh, you've got to slow that down. We were trying to say, chill, relax. So walk up very gently. Yeah, and be very gentle about this. And don't hurry this, because otherwise you're saying, I'm just reading this. I don't have a clue what I'm reading, and I'm not in this moment at all. So you take the movement, your pace of movement always is based on where were you and where are you headed, and how fast you move. So if I'm going to lead a very rousing hymn at the beginning of worship, and I'm going to walk quickly to the platform, I'm going to go at a quick pace, and then we're going to stand quickly, and we're going to jump right in. But if we're going to start with something very meditatively, not going to take it very intentionally and walk very slowly, because I'm already doing the introduction. I am walking the introduction. I am setting the pace for what we're doing already from my very first movement. And when you move in between something in a way that is against what you're trying to say, what you're saying is, I am not in the moment. I am not here at all. I'm only performing this. I'm going through the motions. I am completely unengaged. And the nonverbal communication is following as I just said. So, so very important stuff. Pace of speech is the same kind of thing in the inflections. If you speak loudly when something has just been soft, 
unless you intend for there to be, you know, Savita or something or other. That's different. But otherwise, you've got to flow from something that's got to be a conflict, got to be a, got to allow us time to transition from here. Just like a modulation, you can have direct modulations, but well, what are modulations in music? Moves your ear from here to here. So if I was hearing here, now I am hearing here, see? And so you've got to do the same thing with other kinds of movement. You have to modulate volume. You have to modulate other kinds of places. So you have to go through a process of getting to some place. Choice of words. When you say things in between stuff, formal, informal, hit, cool, written, unwritten scripture, whatever you do, you make it, you send a message. Ever how you say that? send a very important message by the kind of words you use and what kind of vocabulary you use for those. It's a huge message. It doesn't mean everybody has to use the same, but you have to do that. Connections are uh, what we say and do between worship acts, moving from one to another. Bridging, that's the place where we pay so little attention and where we probably should put so much attention. We talked about that yesterday in a curator session, but we will, I can talk about that more if we want to. Silence, eye contact, how much we move, Predictable versus non-predictable. Okay. Um, everybody in worship should feel on a Sunday is if at some point during worship you have connected directly with that person with some eye contact if they're within your view. Now, there's some people that I can't see their eyes in the back, partly because of why. But everybody needs to that you have connected with that person. Who are the people we normally look at? The people we know the best, but the people who give back the most to us. Yeah, one time a woman in choir said, Why do you look at me all the time? It's kind of annoying. And I stopped a moment and I said, Because you look at me all the time. And you encourage me. And then I tried to be a little more. Most often help out the person. And so applause 
standing erect, bending, slumped, kneeling. If we stand really proud and we're reading about confession, it just doesn't work. We have to lower our posture a little bit, all of those kinds of things. So what do all this is? Seeking has to do more with other people, but where do people sit and what messages do they say? The messages are huge. They appear big. Repetition, stable and unstable repetition, and all that. Now, our time is up, and I'm not going to keep you, because, uh, but I have a lot more to say here. Just two or three things. Manipulation. In some ways, manipulation, all worship is manipulation, because we have prepared something, a script in which we expect people to walk through, or act their way through. So in some way, we can say all worship is at least, uh, maybe not manipulation, but we have some plan that we have in mind. But the difference is whether there's permission. And people, um, the last statement I think, emotional impact is not negative, emotional abuse is negative. So people give you permission to lead them forward, that is fine. But it's when you know the range of what is expected and you were to push that and lead people somewhere where they, if they were more clearly thinking less emotional, they would be gone. Kyle Dan wrote a wonderful paper on manipulation a number of years ago, which informed my thinking. Uh, I was in a class wrote a great paper on that, which I've gone back to and read a number of times. I learned a lot from Kyle on that. Um, but this is a word about clothing. That's an area where most of us never want anybody to go these days, because clothing, we have this idea that clothing is completely personal. <coughs> clothing, my clothing, doesn't have any effect on you, no matter what it is. That's just not true. It's completely not true. You're, it sends huge messages, the messages are unavoidable, they may be the singular, most important message you should send. And, but the thing is, they just have to be authentic and they have to be within range and all of that. So it's not prescriptive, it just means you have to know that it's real. Word about authenticity, this is something I was really wanting to talk about. But how do we know what's authentic, how do we know what it means? And the one more point I'll make there is that we're, authenticity is not diminished by rehearsal. Because you rehearse something does not mean it's inauthentic. Okay? Spontaneity does not assure authenticity. Okay? Many times people are spontaneous and they say all the things that they would never say if they weren't nervous, out of the and scared to death. And that is everything but authentic. So I believe that I can be more authentic by preparing what I'm going to say and rehearsing it rather than getting up there and doing things that I would like going to a bad party and saying all the things you didn't intend to say. You know, we don't want worship to be like that. It's too too much is at stake. So that would be a big thing I would say there. And then taking it home with you, this gives you some ideas of some ways to bring some of these things into reality. I've enjoyed working on this session a whole lot, and I learned a lot by reading a lot about nonverbal communication and all that stuff. I meant to get into political speech and uh, 